Welcome to Law and the Life Live. I'm your lawyer, Patrick McGinn, and I am your best friend at your worst times. Uh, today we're discussing self-defense and Florida Stand Your Ground Law. I did a video last week of a police shooting in Central Florida on the East Coast of Bavard County where Stand Your Ground Law applied. And from that video, I got just a bunch of questions about Stand Your Ground and self-defense. And a lot, of, uh, a lot of people don't understand how they work together and how they interact and how they apply. So I thought I would do this video to address it. I'll put last week's video on a card up here at the top. And I did a video, a very brief video about this topic uh, last year, I think it was, on my YouTube channel. And I'll put that card up at the top here also. So. The, question, the questions that come out, a lot of people confuse the two and think they're the same thing. They kind of are, but there's, there's some distinctions to be made. So let's go back to a time before there was a stand your ground law. Back before 2005, we had basically the common law right of self-defense. Everybody has a right of self-defense from a threat. And in Florida, under the self-defense defense, you had to exhaust every opportunity, every possibility, every circumstance, everything under the sun to retreat from a threat before you could use force or deadly force. The stand your ground law changed all that. When we had self-defense, the only thing that altered that was the castle doctrine. Castle Doctrine basically says, if you're in your house, it comes from English common law. If you're in your house, your house is your castle and you have the right to defend your castle against intruders. So you did not have the, the um, requirement to retreat if you were in your house and somebody was coming inside and you reasonably thought that they were um, gonna commit a felony, a violent felony, use violence against you. And you reasonably believe that the only way the only way you could survive was the use of deadly force. Remember, it has to be reasonable. This is always deals with that character that nobody knows called, called the reasonable man. But it has it's kind of subjective because it has to be reasonable to you and somebody in your circumstance. So under self-defense, if somebody was breaking in your house, you know, you thought they were gonna murder you and you know, do all kinds of bad things to you. And that was reasonable under the circumstances, under the facts that are articulable, you could employ the use of deadly force. But it always comes down to reasonable. When you reasonably believe that such force is necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm is the standard in Florida. So before 2005, we had the Castle Doctrine and the self-defense defense. So if somebody was arrested and they claimed self-defense, the case would actually progress through the system and they would present, if it made it to trial, they would present self-defense. They, they were acting in self-defense in this case to get the case, get acquitted on the case or get the case dismissed. That changed in 2005 when Florida enacted the stand your ground law. The stand your ground law and Florida is very, very strong. And it, it, added, it added to your ability to defend yourself. It did away with the duty to retreat from anywhere. 
It presumes that there's a justification for use of force if a person is in their dwelling, which is their house, their residence, um, you know, your garage, uh, your business, anything like that, or a vehicle. And it offers immunity from prosecutions. A complete immunity. I mean, there's no go to trial. If you're successful on a stand your ground motion, you're immune and you can't be prosecuted further, as we discussed in the case last week. It gets a little tricky because people use stand your ground, a lot of people use stand your ground and self-defense interchangeably. And although there are some things that are similar and overlap, stand your ground goes a lot further than just the self-defense. And once again, you always have to reasonably believe that the use of force is uh, there to prevent is required reasonably there is required to uh you know preserve your life and prevent uh, any type of felony from occurring to you any type of violence to you or another person so in 2005 florida enacts the the stand your ground law it's your chances of being involved in such a situation are very slim there's a little bit of case law on it, but shooting situations and you know deadly force situations are really the exception other than the rule. Whereas you have other crimes like battery and you know, mis misdemeanor crimes and stuff like that, and search and seizure, those have expansive case law attached to them. Stand Your Ground does have some important case law, but it doesn't have that expansive amount of case law because of the time it's been enacted and because of the rarity of the circumstances. You may think it happens a lot because you see it on the news, but it happens very infrequently. Your chances of being involved in a violent incident are, you know, are fairly slim. Not that it can't happen, but it's fairly slim. All right, so stand your ground, it abolishes completely the duty to retreat so long as you're in a place that you are lawfully allowed to be and that you are engaged in lawful activities. You can't use stand your ground if you break into somebody's house and the homeowner comes out with a gun and you shoot him, you can't use stand your ground as a defense or as, a, as immunity because you were engaged in an unlawful activity, the burglary of the house, and you were where you weren't supposed to be. But if you're where you're lawfully allowed to be, which is you know in your car, on the street, in the store, pretty much everywhere, during business hours and businesses, in your front yard, and you're allowed to be there, and you're not engaged in any type of criminal activity or the furtherance of criminal activity. And remember the criminal activity as we discussed last week, and. The knowledge of it, just the plain knowledge that criminal activity is occurring is not enough. You have to have more. So as long as you're where you're supposed to be, where you're allowed to be, you can't be trespassing, um, and you're engaged in a lawful activity, stand your ground applies to you in a circumstance where somebody is trying to use force against you. And it's always, remember, it always comes down to reasonably believes. You have to reasonably believe that the force is necessary to prevent imminent 
great bodily harm or death. You know, if you get your arm cut off, that's great bodily harm. Great bodily harm or death to yourself or another, or to prevent the imminent commission of a forcible felony, like robbery, kidnapping, you know, murder, of course, sexual battery, anything like that. And the basic, the, the major difference between stand your ground and the common law duty or the common law self-defense is the abolishing of the uh, requirement to retreat. There's some presumptions that come along with the stand your ground law as relates to dwellings, residences, and vehicles. Where an unlawful entry occurs to a residence, a dwelling, or a vehicle, like a carjacking, a burglary, anything like that, a kidnapping, an attempted kidnapping. Somebody tries to pull you out of the house or pull you out of the car and a carjacking to take your car. There is a presumption that the use of deadly force by the victim is undertaken with requisite reasonable fear of imminent death or great bodily harm. And that's straight out of the statute. So basically that means if somebody's trying to carjack you, it's reasonable to presume that they're trying to kill you or harm you or do great bodily harm to you. Therefore, under the stand your ground law, you're allowed to use opposing force up to and including deadly force if necessary. Anytime, anytime somebody tries to commit an act of uh, involuntary force or violence against you, it applies. And I'm reading this right out of the statute. I'm giving you a little bit of statutory language along with a very basic explanation to where um, the average person can understand it because there's a lot of confusion about it. And if you're not familiar with the stand your ground and how it works, it's easy to misinterpret or misunderstand. And I try to explain legal concepts in very plain everyday language so everybody understands it um you know the law the law can be complicated and there's a lot of lawyers and you can tell by the the amount you know that's the reason we have appellate courts one of the reasons we have appellate courts there's a lot of lawyers who don't completely understand every aspect of the law so i'm just giving you a brief overview in everyday terms hoping to increase your understanding of it all right, so now we get on to prosecutorial immunity. So how does that work? Understand your ground. You don't, you don't go to trial if you're successful on a stand your ground claim. So let's say you're involved in an incident where you had to use deadly force against somebody who was perpetrating violence against you. Um, what's different now that the stand your ground law is in place compared to before is what I see in a lot of cases, if the police believe in your stand your ground position, they won't arrest you right away, um, especially in a homicide case. In homicide cases, at least down here in South Florida, the bigger agencies that handle homicides, a state attorney is gonna come out to any type of shooting scene or probably come out to any type of shooting scene that involves a death or a homicide. And they're gonna make the call on whether or not to arrest the person right then and there. They don't have to, the police do not have to arrest you immediately. They can further investigate the case, let the state attorney 
attorney make the call or whatever, because in the state of Florida, the state attorney's office is the sole entity who decides whether or not to prefer charges in a criminal case. You hear, you hear people all the time, oh, I'm not going to press charges or I want to press charges or whatever. That's, the, that's a like, a hope, a maybe sometimes. It comes down to the state attorney. The state attorney has the ultimate authority to file charges or not file charges, regardless of what the victim wants or desires. Perfect examples in domestic violence cases. Statutes in Florida, statutory law in Florida, allows the state attorney's office to prosecute a person for domestic violence without the cooperation of the victim. So that's how it applies here. So the way it works is whether you're arrested or some type of criminal charges are filed against you, you have to assert your stand your ground rights or your stand your ground position. And how do you do that? You do it through a stand your ground motion, a motion for immunity or a motion to dismiss either one. And you state your grounds and your basis and your case law for the stand your ground position. And the judge will have an evidentiary hearing on that. They'll have like a mini trial. If you are successful in winning your stand your ground motion, your case is over. You can no longer be further prosecuted. And you know, you're off the hook. You have to pay a lot of it. You probably have to pay a boatload of attorney's fees, but you're off the hook. It's a true immunity. Um, a lot of people refer to it as an affirmative defense. An affirmative defense is an excuse for doing something that may be criminal. For example, in a battery case, let's say a fistfight occurs in a bar. A guy is going to hit you and you hit him trying to keep him from hitting you. That would be an affirmative defense of self-defense. But stand your ground is true immunity. It, once, once you win a stand your ground motion, your case is over. Except for the attorney's fees, you still have to pay your attorney. So there was a change in 2017 for the prosecutorial immunity to the stand your ground law. Before you had to come in and you had to prove your case and the burden was on you. Now you have to go into court, you know, you file your motion and at the evidentiary hearing, you have to show a prima facie case. You have to present facts and evidence which would basically show you're entitled to stand your ground immunity. If you're successful in doing that, the state of Florida has to rebut that prima facie case by clear and convincing evidence. So evidence standards get a lot, burden standards and evidence standards cause a lot of confusion to people. This is clear and convincing. The state has to show through clear and convincing evidence that you're not entitled to stand your ground immunity. In a criminal case, the standard is higher. The standard is beyond a reasonable doubt. In a civil case, the standard is lower. It's a preponderance of the evidence, 51% of the evidence, more evidence than the other guy. Clear and convincing at the bottom is preponderance of evidence. In this case, comes clear and convincing and then beyond a reasonable doubt. So that's where it stands. It's not the reasonable doubt standard. So it's, it's, it's the middle ground standard that applies in the burden of proof. So if, you, if you're able to, to, to present that prima facie case and the state is unable to rebut it by clear and convincing evidence, you win, your case is over. And you can no longer be further prosecuted for the crime. 
Now there are limitations. There are exceptions, um, instances where you cannot assert stand your ground immunity and they're enumerated in the statutes. You can't assert stand your ground immunity if you're committing a forcible felony. If you're committing a robbery, if you're walking into a bank and the security guard pulls his gun out and he's getting ready to shoot you and you shoot him first, you cannot use stand your ground immunity. And we discussed that earlier. Um, it will not apply if the person who's the defendant in a criminal case initially provoked the violence against him or her. If the person who provokes the violence tries to use stand your ground, they have another barrier that they have to prove. They have to make a good faith showing that they withdrew from the physical contact. So whatever the contact is, they have to put space between them and the other person, back away, make it clear that uh, you intend to withdraw from whatever is going on make it clear, make communicate it very well. Hopefully there'll be witnesses or cell phones to uh, back that point up. And despite that withdrawal and that clear communication, you were unable to escape the application of force. Then you can use the standard ground as an initial aggressor. A couple of other incidents where it does not apply is if you're the subject of an injunction or a no contact order. So if you have a domestic violence injunction against you and you can't use stand your ground against the person who is the petitioner in the injunction against you, in the domestic violence injunction against you. So for example, if your wife or your girlfriend or whatever has a domestic violence injunction against you, you can't use deadly force if she's attacking you. Doesn't apply. You would have to, you know, you'd have to retreat. You'd have to get out of there the duty to retreat would come back up. Um, you can't use it if you were trying to remove a child through lawful custody. Um, you know, if somebody shows up at your house, grabs you by the arm and tries to pull you out the door, you're an adult or whatever, you're presumed that they're going to commit violence against you. If mom shows up at dad's house and grabs the kid and pulls the kid out the door, Mom has, if mom has legal custody and the legal right to the child, stand your ground does not apply. And once again, you can't, use, you can't be engaged in any type of criminal activity. And the person who uses force, the person who the force is being used against cannot be a police officer or law enforcement officer engaged in their duties lawfully engaged in their duties and identify themselves and the person should have known or known knew that that person was a law enforcement officer and that's where search warrants come in so if you know police go to hit a drug house they're engaged in criminal activity the police come in they're wearing SWAT gear they got police written all over them they're screaming police they're throwing flashbangs Defendant inside the house cannot use deadly force or force to repel the police who are doing a lawful duty. And that's where that case last week came in that we spoke about. Did the guy know that the person who was dragging the niece out of the house was actually a police officer? And the 
the appellate court determined that he did not. The courts determined that he did not. And also in that case that the engaged in or the furtherance of criminal activity did not apply simply because he knew that Denise was in, Denise was engaged in criminal activity. You have to have more. So there you have it in a nutshell. It can be a very complicated concept and interaction and hopefully you'll never need that information or the information I gave you and it'll just be something that's nice to know. People seem to get really excited when it comes to uh, self-defense, stand your ground, uh, police searches, search warrants, and police shootings and stuff like that. Whenever I do a video or I mention uh, one of those topics, it tends to draw a lot of responses. So hopefully that cleared it up for you. It's as clear as mud now. And thank you for joining me. If you have any questions about any of the videos from last week or the week before, please let me know. You can DM me on any of the platforms. I am on Facebook at Ask a Florida Divorce Lawyer. That's my Facebook group. My Facebook business page is Law Offices of Patrick McGeehan. I am the Magic City Lawyer on Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and Tumblr. And of course, you can always email me at Patrick at PJM Lawyer. So hopefully I didn't cause you more confusion on this topic than what you were before and you understand it a little better. If not, let me know. I'll answer your questions. Maybe I'll make another video if necessary. And somebody sent me a case in from Brunswick, Georgia about a shooting, a shooting that occurred in the street or something in a video. I'm gonna take a look at that. We may do that case, but I understand that case is pre-charged. It's, oh, it's pre-charges being filed. And um, the grand jury hasn't met on that case yet. So I may wait until after the grand jury meets when some of the reports become available. Um, I'll have to look into that. And of course, I don't know anything about Georgia law, but I'll take a look at it and you know, give it analysis maybe as a former homicide detective since a couple people emailed me that information and asked me to along with the video. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. Hope it cleared it up for you and didn't make it muddier. Let me check on the platforms and see if there's anybody with any questions. Oh, there's a bunch on TikTok. Let's see. Hi from Australia, Azriel. Hey, how are you? Thanks for checking in. Ken, thanks for checking in. Raza, hello. I see you're from, oh, Austria, not Australia. I gotcha. Lizard Sounds, I love you so much. Keep doing what you're doing and don't listen to the other. I never listen to anybody. I mean, everybody has haters. I used to be a policeman, so I used to get haters all the time. So it really doesn't, I mean, I just ignore them. And my, my, my personal opinion on everybody else's opinion of me doesn't really matter. I don't really, you know, I don't really consider it. All right, Queen Irish has a question. For example, my sister was the victim of assault and she thought the guy, I guess, fought the guy off in the state of South Carolina. Okay, I don't know, I don't know if state South Carolina has a stand your ground law. Camila Boom, hello, how are you? All right, that looks like it from there. Mercedes, how are you? Checking in on Facebook. Good to see you as always, my dear. Let's go over to Instagram and see if anything's going on. Let's go over to 
looks like we got everything up running on YouTube. Looks like we got all questions answered. Anything comes up, any questions about today's video, please let me know. Watch for another video to come out Friday or Saturday with an interview with a workman's comp lawyer. Recently, I've been getting a lot of questions. I represent a lot of police officers and firefighters and I'm getting a lot of questions from them as well as nurses. I'm getting a lot of questions from them about what happens if they're exposed and they can contract the coronavirus while they're at work. Is it workers comp, is it negligence? What type of case is it? So I brought to you, I don't know, I don't practice that area. So I brought in for you a workers comp lawyer, Barry Stein. He's gonna join us for an interview and that interview will come out Friday or Saturday. Hope you enjoyed it. Watch for that interview. I will see you next Monday on the weekly update if there's anything to update, which there probably is since there's been a lot lately. And I will definitely see you next Wednesday at 6 p.m. like always for Law and the Life Live. Once again, I'm your South Florida lawyer, Patrick McGeehan. I am your best friend at worst time. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to join me. I appreciate it and I am very humble. Have a good night and be safe.